Matthew. Hello. This this week, I've I've lost my voice a little bit. I sort of I think I told you it was maybe down to illness, but actually, what happened was I joined a podcast punk punk band, and um, I've been shouting at the top of my voice for you know people to stop listening to such live music and go home and listen to quiet, lovely podcasts and join their social medias as well. And uh, because of all this loud shouting. I've got a delightfully sexy voice this week. You're sounding sultry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sexy and sultry. But sometimes it goes the other way and I sound like the, uh, you know, the guy from The Simpsons. Well, we'll we'll, we'll keep you sexy for the rest of the episode as much as we can. I'll try my best. I'll try my best. So this week we're going to be talking to uh, Kyle, who is the instigator of F'd Up February. Um, And we're going to be talking about Green Green Room. I said that weird. Um... But so yeah, let's let's get into it, into the swing of things. Yep, and just say, join the Facebook group and everywhere else on the social medias. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I sort of I thought I'd implied that with my funny story, but um, I did. Yeah. I, I didn't. We can't say it enough times. <laughs> on with the show. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast and the world's premier kitchen for horror sandwiches. What are those horror sandwiches? I hear you shout. Uh, well, you don't hear me shout because of the old voice, but the horror sandwiches are you get a lovely movie filling surrounded by bready, chatty goodness. Uh, I'm Mark, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew. Hello there. Hello there. Oh, sound just like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, lovely. Well, I guess I, I might have a bit of a grievous thing going on. Ah, um, and it's fe- it's fifth up, effed up February, and joining us is the instigator of effed up February. <laughs> it's Kyle. Hello. Hey guys. How are you? Awesome, awesome. Yeah, pleasure to uh, finally be on with you guys. It's it's definitely a little alarming hearing you guys and now being on, but I uh, was very excited. I don't yeah. think we bigged you up enough there, Kyle. I think, you know, we, we've we've done three weeks of, of F'd Up February so far. You know, we've had, you know, the... I, I'm, I'm thinking of wrestling analogies. You know, we, we've had Val Venus versus D'Lo Brown. You know, we, we've had Chavo Guerrero versus Paul Burchill. And and now this, this is Hogan Andre. This is Rock Austin. <laughs> and, oh. and other probably real sporting equivalents for... Normal people who don't watch wrestling. This is the headline act. This is the Rolling Stones at Glastonbury. Wow, that, they yeah. really bigged you up there. Yeah, that is a really that's a, that's quite the honor. Yeah, you need that boxing guy to shout, "Let's get ready to rumble," and then we'll be really ready to go. <laughs> yeah, so no pressure. You, oh, yeah, no pressure. You don't have to perform. Uh, so this week, what this week? Um, so today I was at the Pizza Hut, and they do an unlimited buffet. And uh, if you're like me. Unlimited buffet means I must eat my money's worth. Um, so I ate too much pizza today. Um, I mean, well, some people say all you can eat is not a challenge, but those people are idiots. 
I I feel as a Yorkshireman specifically that if I pay for something, I must get at least more than what I paid's worth out of it. So, but then you know, how much is a slice of pizza really worth? I don't know. Probably not as much as I paid for it. Um, it's getting to the realms of philosophy, with that, <laughs> isn't it? Also, while I was there, my uh, my child blew my mind. Um, he was sat eating ice cream and he was going, why don't they uh, have vanilla sauce? You know, because they have like, yeah, ice cream. Did I say ice cream? Yeah. Uh, yeah, chocolate, chocolate, raspberry. Yeah, they have vanilla. Caramel, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I go, oh, well, I'm like, well, because it's vanilla ice cream. And so he just turns it back at me. He goes, yeah, but you can get chocolate and strawberry ice cream. And I'm like, uh, hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, why did you say that out loud? That's a million dollar idea. Yeah, yeah. You should have. You guys can stop the podcast and just go go workshop that instead. Yeah, you 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 got me there. It's good though, isn't it, when the when the kids blow your mind. It is, yeah. If the uh future generations. The world's in good hands. Yeah. Vanilla sauce on everything. Give me the taste of vanilla. I suppose people think of vanilla, they think of it being plain don't they but it's not it's a delicious flavor it's a great flavor there's a reason it's the staple yep oh. underrated underrated vanilla is underrated as is vanilla ice of course who's that rapper from the <laughs> 90s or 80s 80s i think when did teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 come out who's secret news because that, that, that was 91 1991 something like that yeah but he was definitely ice ice baby before that <laughs> Let's find out. Let's find out. I'm not moving on before I find out. Secret of the Ooze came out in 1991. Oh, man. Look at that. Hmm, excellent. That's how you end up winning trivia, because you, you pull factoids like that out of yeah. mind. 1990 for Ice Ice Baby. So, yeah, that's 90s. Um, we've, 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 we've devolved into weird Take it some here. weird places <laughs> there, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Kyle, because it's your first... Um, episode, mm-hmm. we're going to go back to the traditional format and ask you all the wonderful questions, which Matthew's going to do because my voice is on its way out. Awesome. We're going old school today. So without further ado, then let's go for the, uh, for the old reliable. So when did you become a horror fan? Yeah, I was trying to think back on this. So I definitely was in high school and uh, I don't know if either one of you remember Fearnet. But it was um, like I had Comcast cable growing up and Fairnet was like an on-demand channel. I just remember just pouring through every night. I would just kind of click one on and I would just watch weird random movies like either like straight to straight to video movies or like so- sometimes like a Midnight Me Train snuck in there with like young Bradley Cooper. But I remember seeing um, Hard Candy with uh, Elliot Page and Patrick Wilson, right? Like one of the most probably underrated movies of the, the 2000s and an unbelievable movie. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Uh, Wishmaster, this movie, I think the one of the first ones I ever saw was t- this movie, 2001 Maniacs, which is like your kind of classic high schoolers go on a trip and then they end up on like a hillbilly farm and it's Robert England and it's bizarre and campy. And yeah, I think that was when I really started to kind of kind of dig in. See, we, I don't think we got that over it. We didn't get that channel. No. No, that, that yeah, it was great. Like it, it was like, a lot of fun. It was. It was kind of, it was like Shutter before Shutter. Sure, but it's that they, yeah, they pick it for you. I think they it. would try to have like maybe like five new movies a week, and I think at some point they maybe tried to do like their own kind of series, like Fear, 
fear clinic or something like that. But yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great kind of uh, entree when you're, when you're a teenage kid and you're just looking to kill some time before bed. It was, it was, you know, awesome. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. So there is actually uh, just about having a look. Apparently there on IMDb, they've put together a list of all the films that they showed on it. Yeah. Um, I saw a couple of lists like that and I was trying to, you know, it's, I'm trying to remember like how much of my like Mandela affecting myself. Was I just watching these on like HBO on demand or was it really on FearNet? But yeah, I remember 2001 Maniacs was one that really stood out. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that one or seen one that one, but it's so funny. It's like all of a sudden Freddy Krueger shows up, not, I mean, you know, Robert England. And it's like, Oh my God, I thought this movie was, I mean, it's schlock. And then like a horror icon appears out of nowhere. I'm like, what is happening? And I, I at the time I definitely did not know that it was Freddy Krueger either. Oh, oh right. that sounds amazing. Yeah. I'd- I would be, I would definitely be watching that if that was, uh, that was with us now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, what was uh, the scariest horror movie? Was that one of the ones that they showed on that? No, nah, the scariest horror movie. I, I mean, honestly, the one, the one we're going to talk about today, uh, in terms of like the first time you watch it, just a feeling of dread. Um, that is. It's definitely one that stuck with me, which is, you know, why I'm excited to talk about it. But, um, you know, I think Hereditary is I, I had no idea like the, the Hereditary, the, the twist was coming. Um, you know, obviously never heard of Ari Aster and kind of similarly Midsummer, just like unsettling. Um, yeah, but uh, I think the the most depraved movie I've seen, it's like especially now that um, I have kids, uh, especially I have a young daughter, watch Speak No Evil that came out last year that has really been kind of yeah, it's yeah. like almost an instant cult classic that is one that is like really gonna that sticks with you for a very long time i will absolutely never watch it again there's no shot it's it's that's a that one's hard to stomach yeah you know, I, that's one i've still not gone to because yeah so mark you spoke about that early didn't you i think i need to do it i don't have kids though so maybe it'll be easy for me. <laughs> <It might>. uh, <laughs> i would hope that that is not the case I certainly think it's definitely more affecting if you've got kids, though, because that is like um, part. It is a part of the plot, but you know, never, nevertheless, it's still very, very bleak. Um, you know, I think I might have had it in my top five for the year, but I'm with you. you. Did, I, I, did, yeah. I'll, 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 I've no need to go in and watch it again. Well, that's kind of the thing, though, isn't it? It's doing its job well. You know, yeah, possi- possibly yeah, oh, too yeah. well if uh, if you can't go back. Yeah, I mean, it's like an examination of like you know what's your worth as a father, what's your worth as a as a partner. Like it is, it asks you some questions you don't really want to ask yourself. So, well, we'll, we'll move along and go to something which usually is uh, more fun for the podcast. <laughs> and uh, what is your favorite kill or the best kill? Um, so I, I don't know if this one has been mentioned before, but people, it seems to be like kind of the go-to one is in, uh, Jason seven when he's in the woods and he picks the girl up in the sleeping bag. Against the tree. I mean, it is, I remember, uh, we used to just watch that, like, and just laugh and laugh and it's so ridiculous and it's just insane. But, um, I was thinking, I don't know if you've either one of you ever seen this movie called kill list. Uh, I've seen kill list. Yep. Yeah, so there's 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 one scene. Yeah, it's basically two assassins, and they're they're kind of moving through. I can't can't remember. I haven't seen. There's another one that's going to be tough for me to ever watch again. But um, they there's this one kill, and I watched it last night on YouTube again. And he's like one of the assassins is torturing a guy that's trying to get information out of in like his kitchen, and it's like such a suburban setting. 
and then he's and he's got a hammer and he's like hitting him on the knee, hitting him on the hand, and then he puts his head on the table. Spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't killed it. Not not really a minor a, a major plot detail, but he puts his head on like the table and the camera follows him and it never cuts and then he smashes it with a hammer. And I, I it's just so you're you're just expecting a cut, like a look away, and then like you see a blood splatter, and the camera never moves off this off this guy. And I cannot for the life of me figure out how they did there must be a secret cut in there somewhere but it is seamless <laughs> it is haunting yeah i'm i'm with you on that that's a great choice like there's a there's probably a couple that you could pick and kill this as well isn't there? <laughs> yeah there yeah is. yeah there's, there's there's definitely a couple more and kill yeah. us that yeah that kind of delves more into the um yeah not not something i want to <laughs> revisit anytime soon another bleak movie but you know this is this is effed up february so i felt it yeah was, uh, it fit the yeah. scene if we do this again next year i think kill list uh is a film that could be on the list there's yep. quite a lot of ben wheatley films that we could put on that list yeah he seems to have that kind of that kind of uh disposition yeah i downloaded uh, it now <laughs> well mark if you're doing that as well get sightseers in a field in england too they they get my my full recommendation, and in the earth, we're, we're big Ben Wheatley fans at this half of the podcast anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, you mentioned the uh, the effects there with the say the the cut or lack of in that 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 kill. But what would you say are the standout effects for a film? I think if I'm, I know everyone says the thing, but that's just you know it's just classic kind of Carpenter. Um, and then I was I, especially thinking about Brandon Cronenberg. I mean, you guys spoke a little bit, Matthew. I know you talked a little bit about Possessor. There's kind of like in between scenes, and yeah. particularly like like the face melt. And then um, I just watched it the other night because I knew you guys were talking about it. And uh, the, when he crushes her head and it's like a mannequin, just disturbing. And then um, I was also thinking about once I started thinking about Brandon Cronenberg, I was thinking about his dad and just the fly. It was just a movie that. I'd always heard about and I, I watched it in high school and I was just like, how, how did they do this? Like so, sometimes there's that eighties practical effect was, you know, it's even more kind of haunting than anything modern. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Great choices to fly. You know, the, the amazing thing that, that I found out recently is that it was produced by Mel Brooks. It's like, I couldn't believe oh, it. <laughs> and the elephant man, like he did both of them like very quickly together. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't he, know that either. Yeah. He, he I, recently read his book and he was basically like yeah we did all the comedy films and when we set up the studio we just wanted to do as different as possible from it yeah so we just like <laughs> we just so we made the elephant man and then the fly oh man yeah that's that's quite the the differentiation yeah so what would you say then for uh our next question for a movie that needs a sequel or movies that need to stop making sequels or if you've got both go right ahead yeah i definitely have both because i was just thinking about um uh, how bad spiral was because i watched that i think in the summer and i know that there i think there's another saw movie coming out right or saw kind of jigsaw adjacent and i think isn't tobin bell back but there's, there's I, something I, in the works yeah I'm i just sure exactly I, how the first one i love the first one so much and i remember hearing about i remember hearing about like the the spoiler in school before like someone told me about it and i was still was like i have to watch this movie and it was still even better than expected but they they really have milked that thing for all it's worth and i so i appreciate some of them for like their like just the pure you know kind of torture aspect of it like some some of that's entertaining but uh spiral was pretty like listless so and um if i'm thinking about something i want to i was trying to think like of, of a sequel and i really love trick-or-treat 
and I just discovered trick or treat like maybe three or four years ago. I had always heard I I like was looking up like kind of underrated classics. I ended up watching like Ty West's House of the Devil, and I watched Trick or Treat. But Trick or Treat is so I know like the horror anthology has kind of been done, but the way it kind of it, it melts together, I, w- I would really like to see them kind of continue to either explore that world of like the little pumpkin head kid or 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 do something in a similar vein. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I, I'm sure I read somewhere that they are on with Trick or Treat too. Anyway, um, but yeah. I totally agree with you. I uh, for me, it's one of the better anthology movies, partly because it moves within the same, you know, universe as it was, and it's it's got a nice story that mixes itself together um, yep. instead of it just being separate things happening in separate places. I mean, not that. I don't have any room for that. I love creep show and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always liked Sam and, and I, I, I do like that movie. And uh, you, if you've listened to this enough, I can't agree anymore with you on Saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Push them a, down the toilet. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a perennial kind of kicking bag at this point. <laughs> yeah. But I'll, I still hope I still hope. I'll, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I'll watch every single one, but, um, yeah, when we get to the worst horror movie you've ever seen, then you'll kind of understand my soul feelings. Well, that leads us uh, leads us nicely <laughs> onto that one, then. Yeah. So, what is the worst then? So, uh, the director of Saw, I think he made two, three, and four. Uh, this guy Darren Lynn Bozeman. He, I think he was on like Adam Carolla show maybe two years ago and talking. I think he was talking. I think he he did Spiral as well, and he was talking about like basically his passion project was this little movie. It's like fifty eight minutes long. And it's called the the Devil's Carnival, <laughs> and it's like a vaudevillian, like not even slasher who done it. I don't know. It makes no goddamn sense. There is <laughs> not one scary second of it. There's nothing even creepy. There's horrendous acting, and it is the longest fifty eight minutes you could ever endure. And I'm like, I like Saw 2 and 3. How did this man come up with this farce? But I, I was looking last night, I was like trying to think of really bad movies. I just recently watched like Escape Room 2, which I hated. Um, and uh, that movie 31 by Rob Zombie. Who I love Rob Zombie, hated 31. And then I saw like my rating on IMDb and it was The Devil's Carnival. And it has a one. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is the worst. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. Period. Probably horror or, or otherwise. You know, the incredible thing is, though, is that this actually got a sequel. No, it did not. Funded uh, by whom? Uh, Alleluia, <laughs> the Devil's Carnival from 2016. Oh, my goodness again, gracious. Darren Lynn Boozman again. Oh, man. Yeah, that is, that's tough. That's tough. They're, they're, uh, I don't like to shit on art, but it's, it's completely and utterly unwatchable. Yeah, I'm just seeing, I'm just looking at, well, I've got the trailer playing now without any, um, sound obviously it it looks like it's got like a sort of good look to it, it um, like, yeah I, and i think that there's like a big he's like a i think he's like a festival kind of guy so he's like mm. really in, ingrained in like the hard community and i think that they have like outdoor showings and it like almost turned into like a a monty python kind of thing but um i think i watched it maybe at some point in the pandemic on like a random like weekend afternoon or 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 evening or something and for whatever i mean it just did not catch me i didn't understand it and it was scary i i 
and it had also been hyped up to me like oh this is awesome like this is like underground kind of horror yeah. darren limbo i'm like what the hell is this no i mean if it if it was 56 minutes and you and you <laughs> if you could barely stand that then you know i'm happy to avoid that movie yeah i mean that's not a lot a long amount of time is it to be annoyed by something so. no no, no. <laughs> yeah at least you know that that is something that's going for it you know at least yeah. it's short yes yes for sure yeah uh, well we'll, we'll Leave that where it is, and we'll we'll lean into the positive. So, uh, what's your favorite franchise? Yeah, favorite franchise. So it's probably it's probably Scream from like a uh, complete anthology sense because the first one is like an all time Mount Rushmore classic. I know you guys recently talked about it. Mm. Um, I I very rarely find myself not enjoying a screen movie and i know that they're taking it in a completely different direction with six which i think comes out in a couple of weeks but um yeah whatever the, they do I'm, I'm on board and especially i love the the uh the new directors the guys that made ready or not and the previous scream so um and then i think pro- it's probably my more populous opinion but the conjuring universe i know that people kind of take it or leave it and in particular like the first two conjuring movies are i mean i just i think that the the first conjuring movie is one of the scariest movies I've seen like in the theater, especially cause like I had my wife um, like gripping my hand the entire time. It was like, <laughs> she's, she's, sem- she's, you know, somewhat in on, on horror movies, but she was like terrified. And then of course I took, I dragged her to see Conjuring too, cause I kind of thought that was funny. And then we, we get in the theater and I don't know if you guys have like the real D 3D. <laughs> so we sit down and we sit down and Conjuring 2 starts and like our, our chair starts shaking. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like an immersive experience. And then the <laughs> the the nun running out at us. I mean, I, that's probably the the scaredest I've ever been in my entire life. When that nun runs out at me, and my my chair's vibrating, my wife's breaking my hand. I mean, that was that was just a a, a once in a lifetime kind of movie watching experience. So I I love the Conjuring movies. Wow, that sounds amazing. It was insane, and that's like people people tout that that nun out of the picture scene as like one of if not the scariest movie scariest scene ever, like definitely in the Mount Rushmore or of the decade, like very very unsettling scene, and we were like completely immersed, like we were in the room with her. It was it was terrifying. See, that's yeah. the sort of thing that you know those gimmicks are meant for, aren't they? Yeah, I always yeah. found that like they, they try them for I don't know, sound like a dick, but prestige films and they put 3D and stuff in. They always feel naff, but I remember when you're in the massive 3D boom, there, there were two films that came out sort of around the same time in 3D, and I thought this you know, this is what 3D is for, and it was Saw 3D and Jackass 3D. It's like <laughs> that's what I want from 3D. Yeah, yeah, murders and, and and guys' butts. Yeah, and if we if we can combine the two, then we'll be laughing. <laughs> sounds good. Well, it all sounds good to me. So you did say though that you enjoy the 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 first two Conjuring films. What about the the spin-off ones? You like the the Annabelle and the Nun ones? Um, Are they Annabelle, going there as well. Yeah, Annabelle too. I I have I haven't seen the Nun, which is like it. I think that's really the one that has made the most money for some reason, but also people think it's the worst one. And there's the nuns too is coming later this year. Mm. Um, I've seen all the Annabelle's and I think there's one more coming. Um, two is the best. Uh, one was okay. And three was like the babysitter in the house. 
that one that one was okay too. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think that they're Blumhouse does a you know obviously Blumhouse does a fantastic job and um, they do a good job of integrating like kind of more general horror fans. Like they give they give like the general people what they want, but I still think that they he he has a they have a good grasp on like what like the true horror heads kind of like to see. So yeah, I know it's it's probably a bit divided at this point, but I still enjoy them. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like those Conjuring films. I find I, I find that each one of them doesn't quite know how to wind itself down. Mm-hmm. Um, and each one of them's sort of ending is a bit sort of... Uh, but I like, even though I think the Warrens in real life probably are a, possi- <laughs> possibly not the best people in the world, but I like them in the movies because it's nice to have people show up to situations who are vaguely in control of the situation as well. I've always, I think that's, you know, it's not, it's not really that final goal mentality, but it's like, it's nice having someone there who's like, yeah, come on, let's try and sort this stuff out rather than everybody's running and screaming. And, you know, even though they do end up running and screaming, but still. Right. It's nice that we've got a horror franchise that's built off the back of the good guys. Mm. it's, It's, a little bit different in that regard, isn't it? You know, there's no, there's no Freddy or Jason. It's, you know, the guy that stops Freddy and Jason that it's like monster of the week. Who can they stop now? Sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All the spin-offs also, like, that are all about the monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's also very safe hands with like, it was James Wan initially. Right. And like Patrick Wilson mm. and Vera, Vera Farmiga. So there's, there's an element of, um, you know, at least at, at the very least it's, it's well-produced, well-shot, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll move uh, move on then to the uh, the last one before the uh, the filling. And what is your favorite horror movie? Yeah. So this is ironically this is one of the first movie horror movies I ever saw. So I remember, and when I was maybe twelve or thirteen, I'd always like heard that The Shining was the scariest movie ever. When we watched The Shining. I'm like, um. Uh, okay yeah that was fine it was two and a half hours there was an old naked lady there's a lot of blood um there's like one and a half deaths i'm like okay and then uh it was like in the blockbuster days and we had rented like the shining and we had rented the descent and the descent absolutely blew my mind i mean it is it's it's already scary that it's spelunking and they're in like these you know shoulder width you know cavern caverns in the ground and then the freaking monsters appear and are just ruthless and every single time i watch it i'm just blown away and i got seen i've seen the the descent too which kind of picks up exactly where the first one leaves off and uh i just think that the first one is a masterpiece yeah i had a really good time watching the descent i watched it with the my uh, my other half and I knew about the scene. I knew anyone who's seen The Descent knows about that one bit. <laughs> and I, I knew it was coming, and she didn't. <laughs> so I sat there watching it, just going, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. And then it happened. And, yeah, I got the exact reaction that I was expecting. It was very <laughs> fun. Yeah, that's always fun. When the, uh, when the other halves are not exactly clued in on what's happening. So, well, No, yeah, great choice of film, though. Uh, like wonderful setting for a film you know yeah yeah Yeah, you're already you're already uncomfortable if if it was just a a movie about girls spelunking and they get lost uh that would already be enough for me (laughs) 
there's just these murderous monsters in here. So yeah, it's not not one if you're claustrophobic, is it? No, 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 no. Yeah, I think the one thing that I really remember about that movie is, I mean, obviously the main, uh, you know, descent part, but the right at the beginning when there's the it, it's a car accident, isn't it? And it really just like takes you out of left field. Like I thought this was about a different thing. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah, it, it it puts you on edge straight away about a different thing, and then you have to. And the only the only thing I've ever had to pick about that film, uh, uh, you know, if I was to pick something bad about it, is that the characters in it are a bit. Most of them are very annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, there's maybe a little bit of catharsis when they're getting there for a tripped out for you for you for you at least, Mark. No, but I, uh, but I agree. I agree with you. I I agree with you. It's an e- excellent movie. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, in, on that note, then shall we see if the film that we're going to be covering today is similarly excellent? Mm-hmm. So, well, before we do that, we do have to ask you: What is your favorite sandwich? Ooh. Oh. All right, so you guys probably you might not be privy to this, but I'm a Philadelphian. I'm from Philadelphia, so if we can count it, I will be throwing in the Philadelphia cheesesteak as a sandwich. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, probably a different a different sandwich than uh, maybe you guys are guys are used to on the Creative Psychopath podcast. But yeah, I mean, no, they, Philly, they, Philly cheesesteak, the tried and true. They, they make a, a pretty naff facsimile of it in Subway here, so. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it can't it can't possibly be be that hard to replicate. I know that we uh, Philadelphians are a little snobbish about it sometimes, but yeah, it's just it's meat and cheese and bread. <laughs> no, we, I like that choice and look forward to ruining it later. <laughs> so uh, right now, let's get into it then. So the yeah, as we all know, the movie we're talking about today is Green Room from 2015. Uh, strangely, for for this month, it's the second. Like early doors A24 film that we've covered. Mm. Sort of shows what they were up to in the early days. Uh, but it is written and directed by Jeremy Sonier. And the cast is Anton Yelchin as Pat in what would have been one of his last roles. Uh, Imogen Poots as Amber. Patrick Stewart as Darcy. Alia Shawkat as Sam. Joe Cole as Reese. Callum Turner as Tiger. Eric Edelstein as Big Justin, which I just want to say, wonderful choice having a Jewish bloke play a Nazi. And Macon Blair as Gabe. Uh, so it, again, with, with the early days of A24, it was, say they were sort of finding the feet as a distribution company. And so it looks to me as if the distribution of this film was a real mess. Because uh, it was budgeted at five million dollars, and it you know, only grossed three point eight million, despite being a massive critical hit at the time. Uh, so, yeah. Without further ado, let's get into it. Ooh. So the story follows a punk band called the Ain't Rights, or the Aren't Rights, as they show in the uh, the marquee later in the film. And they are in the Pacific Northwest uh, on part of a tour. And when one gig's cancelled, a fan of theirs sets them up at a club uh, with a pretty lucrative gig. And when they get to the club, it is you know full of neo-Nazis, which always a fun time. 
And while they're there, after they finish the set, they walk into a murder and things go south. So the first thing that, that I want to say about this film is that it really highlights something that I've always found really, really weird about punks because they go one way or another very strongly when it comes to racism, I've found. It's like I've got you know a few friends uh, growing up that were punks and they were super anti-racist, you know, really like punch your local Nazi sort of guys. And those Nazis are like the same, like the opposite side of the same coin, and it's like crazy to me that this is like so polarizing in one subculture. And I don't know I just thought that was a, a weird thing just to mention before we get into the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of highlighted a little bit with like the like the. Um delineation between like the the red laces and the not the non-red laces it's you know i think th- things are very kind of above board for you know part of the crowd there where they're just enjoying you know headbanging and listening to some music having some drinks whatever it's on a random <laughs> saturday afternoon whatever day it's supposed to be uh versus like the the guys that are you know so hardcore that they'll they can very easily be persuaded to you know fake a stabbing do some jail time and then just like the the militaristic side of like the Patrick Stewart character. Yeah. And you know, that scene, the opening scene when, when the band play the gig and they open up with the dead Kennedys, Nazi punks fuck off. I think it's just an unbelievable scene because like uh, the bottle it would have taken to have actually done that. If anyone did it really like it would have been insane. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, again, I'm just saying that scene sort of sets up something that I, you know, I really like about the first act of the film, because we we get introduced to this band, and I mean, we get introduced to them after they've fallen asleep at the wheel and crashed the van into a cornfield, <laughs> and then they they sort that situation out by just going to a local ice rink and siphoning petrol from cars, and, and then. They're on the accommodation for the night. Is just some guy that who's might be a fan and is interviewing for the magazine. So like, this group are like in, immediately set up as being you know tough survivors. You know, streetwise can get the way around situations. And then once it all kicks off later in the film, it it's just serves to highlight how deeply they're in the shit. You know, these people that can seemingly just work all these problems out can't work this problem out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like you were talking about that kind of where, where you left off with like your synopsis, that initial. So like, obviously the point of this movie is to get them to the green room, but all of the things that happened before that, where it's, you know, they, like you mentioned, they're, they're in the cornfield, they're out of gas. Now they're heading to this uh, guy who's going to interview him and he has a gig, but not a great gig. And they show that um, the, the one uh, character is like, you know, Hey, jujitsu. Like there's all these little moments you see um, when they're in the, when they're in the, the band doing their gig and you see the, the cousin and he's interacting with the girl and handing off the note. And uh, obviously you see the, the, people that end up like perpetrating the murder um walking out when they play the 
the Nazi punks fuck off song. Um, that is just, it's all, it's all these little things that you would think that they have to start at the green room. And then they're like, okay, how do we get there? But you never, you never feel that. No, I mean, you know, how often do you hear stories about bands, you know, playing sorts of gigs and, you know, wandering into tough gigs, finding anything that they can and those sorts of things, you know, as, as rough as it all is in that first little bit, it does still feel kind of normal, doesn't it? Right, right. You yep. know, or, or kind of stories that you've heard, you know, famous rock stars tell. It's like, oh, you know, we, we stumbled into a gig full of neo-Nazis. You know, that sort of thing is, I know it's not common, but, it, you know, the sorts of things that you hear about in memoirs, don't you? Right, right. And they're totally, you know, the, the, our four leads are, kind of, you know, they're unflinching. Like I said, it's just kind of business as usual. You know, you don't you don't think twice about heading back into the green room to grab a phone that's charging. No. Well, let's say so when we talk about the green room, like what a perfect title for the film, because, mm-hmm. you know, not it's not just, you know, that it's where the bulk of the film takes place, but like everything happens around this one place, doesn't it? You know, they, every time that there's an escalation in the film, it's always there. You know, that's where, you know, that's where the murder takes place. Then that's where they find out that the Nazis are going to kill them. That's where they find that it's all because they're running a heroin operation. And then, spoiler alert, I mean, we've said so many spoilers already, but <laughs> by the time that the, the last bit of it comes around, that's where the tide turns and it's like and uh, you know in the meantime of that it's like the safe haven and also you know the danger at the same time and it's like such great use of location for a film because it's it keeps coming and coming back and it's just like drives it so important like i reckon you could do a stage play of this movie if you really wanted to yeah yeah i'm not sure how you'd get in the theater but you know you, you really could do it it's that sort of it feels kind of theatrical in that way yeah definitely mark i think that i don't know if you had said you had seen this no no i haven't seen it i hadn't seen this movie before so it was a it was a brand new one for me um one thing i was i knew i knew it had a nazi element about it and uh was expecting that to be an element of the movie, but it rarely actually is. Um, you know, they they have the red laces, like you say, but it's not. It's not. A, it's not a racist movie. There's no. I think maybe one slur, maybe something like that. And there is obviously, you know, swastikas and stuff like that knocking around. But it's, yeah, the set design is super. Yeah, and well, but it, super racist. <laughs> But I, I mean, not it, it wasn't a bad thing that it took me by surprise. But I was I was expecting that to be more of an element of the film. But it's very sort of almost on the outside of you know it's it's the wrapping of of the movie. Yeah, these sort of these Nazis. Then I think like as a group and Patrick Stewart especially, I think mean, she's inspired casting in it, just picking up this you know genteel nice old yorkshireman to to play a neo-nazi gang leader uh they're they're really great as a, a set of villains just because you know then obviously the the scary physically you know there are a lot of big guys and the skinheads the violent but 
they're also extremely intelligent in this film. You know, mm. they're, they're always thinking about you know the, the situation that they're in and the the planning. They're not just going gung ho. It's like this is what we need to do to get ourselves out of this situation as well. And as on top of that, they've got the resources to do it as well. You know, just with people like you know, Kyle mentioned earlier about the guys that are willing to stab themselves and do time for this, you know, or just financial or, you know, weaponry, you know, they, they've, they've got it all. So like, you know, not just the physical threat, but, the the way they're thinking it all through the whole time just makes them like so intense as a villain, you know, as you know, as a collective, because it's just like ev- every way that they can get you is is there. They tick all the boxes off. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm with you on the Patrick Stewart thing, and I think. For me, it partly in this film is because as a character, to a certain point, even, you know, away from the green room, it's not entirely sure whether he's, um, you know, what his deal is. You know, he's he's talking at the door about, you know, just, just give us the gun. We, want, we, we all want to be out of this situation. And I don't know if it's Patrick Stewart or the way that he sells it, but it is trustworthy enough for you going... Yeah, maybe they do. Maybe this is going to escalate because of them and not because of, you know, what's going on. Because he's, he comes across as very trustworthy. Of course, they do try and give up the gun, and it goes a bit, um, well, if wrong. It... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Patrick Stewart is a, a world class gaslighter in this film. No, he's like that's the thing, though. It's you know all the, which I guess is. is sort of how the the film sort of chugs along and how it develops and stuff is that, you know, the, the horror comes from just the changing situation all the time, doesn't it? You know, it's just like the way that some characters have the upper hand in the situation and then it changes and that, you know, they, they give up the gun and, but they get the box cutter and, like everything is constantly changing. You know, the dogs come in, they take the dogs out of the equation. They get weapons, they lose people. And like the way that it's just constantly changing all the time. And then you've got Patrick Stewart just in the middle of this, just going, right. Okay. This has happened. So now I'll do this instead. And constantly this guy is just unruffled by chaos and bloodshed going on around him like dudes dude's scary yeah yeah, simple as that yeah and patrick stewart's phenomenal but i i do think we're probably doing a disservice to go this far without mentioning anton yelchin who i i wrote down when i was watching like this movie does not work without him because he seems so terrified and that scene when he's reaching out the door First of all, I I didn't understand what's happening to him at first, and then just the I don't know I couldn't tell if it was the like the sound mixing like combined with the special effects just combined with like the the the, the sheer terror and pain with which he's screaming with, and it's just prolonged and it's at that point you're like 
it, it feels so real. And it's that's that's kind of when I think the movie kind of takes a little bit of a turn to okay, absolutely anything can happen. Yeah, I am Tony Elchin, like this is the film to me where because I saw it, I would say just a couple of months after he's after he died. Mm-hmm. And I I was watching just thinking, wow, this this is a loss, isn't it? This guy's fantastic. You know, and he, like you say, he really he really sells that Terry. It's like he's the only person that I think when you're looking at the film that the gravity of the situation lands on him immediately. Yeah, you know, the rest of the band don't seem to quite grasp it the same way that he does. Yep, yeah, for sure. And I think that there's maybe something about his personality or something in his in his past that he kind of he like you said he kind of immediately understood the circumstances and um the you know tiger and um alia shawkat i can't remember her character's name they're they're good as well i think everyone's pretty good in this in this the the jujitsu guy um the Uh, joe cole joe cole yeah yeah, reese yeah he's he he feels badass to me and i i think that him and him anton had really good uh chemistry and they felt like they felt like big brother little brother Whereas Anton was kind of more like the cerebral, intelligent one, and versus uh, Reese is kind of the you know the muscle. I mean, he's taken down um, what's the guy's name? Big, uh, big, big Jim, big Justin, uh, big, big Justin, big, big, big yeah. Justin, yeah, big Justin, like taking him down and uh, his uh, the. I was thinking about the um, the failed escape when they're finally like, "Fuck it, we're going." And uh, I think I think someone I think it's Joe Cole says uh, we won't all live, but maybe we won't all die. And it's just like <laughs> you feel like a swell of hope. And then just the way with which you know you it doesn't feel like a movie. It it feels like a snuff film at certain points. Um, and just him when he dives out the window and then it's taken out. It's like just the all time all time gut punch. They, he he was so rootable. He had complete control of the situation. He's the only one who knew how to use a gun. And then you're like looking at who you got left. And it's like you have Imogen Poots who's like either on crack or <laughs> just an all-time weirdo. And Anton Yelchin who has, you know, one arm and is on the cusp of a nervous breakdown at all times. But um, yeah, it's just the, the the character building with like, you know, even even not that much dialogue, but just kind of how they how they interact with each other in like a congenial sense is is really, really well ratchets up the tension in this film yeah you do get the sense with the band especially that there is that real camaraderie between them mm-hmm. you know like again that you know that's set up like right at the beginning that they go through all those things together and like you, know, you do feel them that they when they're making these decisions you know when things go south they, they feel sort of true to what a group of people like that would do yeah yeah for sure and i i was thinking about like the kind of the propulsive nature of the film especially from like you know it's we're 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 building towards the green room and then once we hit the green room there's there's things that need to be put in place like patrick Stewart needs to enter in the, in the equation um the like kind of bar owner bar bar runner making blair um he he's kind of you know he's orchestrating the red laces he's talking to the guy with the dogs while they're kind of planning in, in the green room and then from there it's just like there's the field escape and it just all feels you know, so propulsive. And I was just thinking about like this movie, like that, that tension and that kind of, you feel like on your downhill roller coaster, it was what really, what really kind of builds the atmosphere. But then the, they just like scatter in like these, 
like I was thinking of them as, as kind of like earned jump scares, <laughs> like the oh, uh, what did we forget? And he's got the shotgun. It's like all of a sudden that guy's blown away. The like I, like I mentioned before, the arm slash, like uh, Yant- Anton's arm. It's like you know you you don't really feel that com- coming, and then all of a sudden it's on your screen. And uh, Imogen Poots, I, I said she <laughs> opened up Big Justin like a Ziploc bag. It's like that is like okay, what 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 is going on in this movie? So. Yeah, I just think all of those kinds of things, just the, the atmosphere combined with, you know, there's there are some true visual horror aspects in here, like disturbing, like as we kind of mentioned, like going towards like a fucked up February, definitely in that vein. But uh, I just remember the first time I watched it, just when I, when it's finally over, I just like, like a big sigh of relief, like, okay, okay, it's over. Yeah, and I think, so one of the scenes that, you mentioned on like where the you know he puts his arm through the door to give them the gun like that's so impactful as well because these characters they're kind of smart you know they're not they're, they're not making your typical stupid horror character decisions mm-hmm. you know it's like oh you know give us the phone give us a phone we'll give you the gun in that scene and it's like you know we we can't give you a phone. You, you know you're gonna call the police, and you know, this is all gonna go even worse. She's like, okay, we'll, we'll give you the gun, but we're keeping the ammo. So you know, we'll, the, the giving themselves a safety net. And so like you you can feel that sort of tension building, and then the way that they do it, where you know you, she's looking out the sort of that grate in the door, and she you know only see Patrick Stewart's feet. You're thinking like, you know what, these guys they're covering themselves. You know they're in a bad situation, but you know, the, the handle in it. And then when the door just angles and you see those other boots there, you think, oh, <laughs> it's just like, you can just feel this, the disappointment just rush out of you. It's like, what a, yeah, what a fantastic scene that is. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, I think I saw the director said, I mean, obviously, I think he was the writer and director, Jeremy Saunier, and he was talking about how every time he, he watches that scene when he sticks the, gives him the gun he always thinks that this is why why are they doing this they would they would never do this i'm like well you wrote it dummy <laughs> well no the thing is i the thing like it kind of felt like they were they were covered weren't they and they were, they were kind of tricked into doing it at the same time as well you would say they've got yeah. a registered firearm and it looks like they've taken a hostage and that sort of thing so, you know so again it's you know going back to patrick stewart's character being you know, being smart and, and how much of this conflict is cerebral as well as physical. Right. So, and at yeah. that yeah, at that point they don't really know the, the the stakes either. They don't know what the bar owner is capable of. They they have no idea that they're you know, I think I think they have a sense that they're they're in danger, but I don't think that they were really feeling the mortal peril. Yeah, so I think the uh the only real thing that so I've I've got left to talk about on this one. Is that the the sort of the last bit of the the film? You know, usually when you've got a horror film, the the final act, the usually the final girl, like she becomes tough and like this is a time I'm going to get my own back and I'm going to you know kill the monster. But this is the only film to my mind that I can think of where at the end of the film the characters have just gone we're getting wasted here you know we're just getting completely taken out and there's nothing we can do about it 
And the tide turns not when they become strong and, you know, grow as characters. It's just when they embrace total hopelessness and just go in, <laughs> oh, you know, we've done this. We're just getting annihilated. So let's just go out swinging. Yeah. And it yeah. just totally works. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about Anton Yelchin, you know, his, his acting. And, you know, that's another part of it. When he takes that turn in the other direction, when he sort of, as you say, sort of embraces. Um, well, it's like the, the he tells that sort of paintball story and it's like embracing sort of chaos, really, I think. Um, and he sort of, well, I guess he shaves his head nicely, which is <laughs> a trope that I hate, um, but fine. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that that's really good. And you do believe that he's sort of, uh, you know, ready to, you know, lose it all to fight what he can. It's, uh, it's a good part of it. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about before we sort of get towards the end of it is what I did like about this is um, a lot, the, there was a, there wasn't a, a straight line between the bad guys and the good guys. Like a lot of the sort of people who ended up in the green room who you sort of were on the bad team, if you were, were sort of like, I don't really want to do this or, you know, it, it was more ambiguous, if you know what I mean, which I, I quite liked that there was the odd person who came in and went, I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to die. I don't really want to kill you either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. The uh, the final guy that kind of hops down into the, uh, the like, the bunker with Anton, yeah. and they, they end up getting him. And I, <laughs> the, Anton has, an, has a great line there, too, where... <laughs> Because Imogen Poots is dropping the bodies and she's shooting the legs and she's calling out how many bullets he has left. <laughs> they finally get him and Anton goes, "You flabbergasted that motherfucker." I was, I was dying. <laughs> yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> it's great. Uh, no, has any has anyone got anything else that they want to uh, to talk about? Uh, the dogs were awful to a degree. Um, I. The I think there's one main dog attack, you know, maybe two, and um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you sort of uh, I think you tend to forget sometimes how vicious a dog could be, and uh, you know, certainly been trained that way, and I thought that was in terms of effects and I guess gore that looked good. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's also. Got... A... Oh, sorry. No, I've only got one more thing to say about the ending, and then. Uh... So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the dogs. This is like, oof. I think if there's the least way I'd like to go out, I think it's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's also there's also a small bit there at the end that I noticed this time that where. Uh, Anton tells um, Patrick Stewart's character, you know, you, you seem scarier last night. And I think that, that that also is applicable to the dog too. Cause you know, that guy's just going on a little journey. He's just out for a trot. Just looking for his, looking for his daddy mm. in, in the morning. And you know, when you see that dog in the morning, it's like, Oh, poor guy. And then uh, you think about him at night, it's ripping out tiger's throat and you feel, you feel less of those feelings. So. Yeah. To be honest, that was that, that was the only thing I had to say about it. So yeah. 
That was a, that was my last thought. So right then, so before that we uh, we we get into the reviews and what we we thought about it, and before we talk about whether the films effed up or not, uh, you you do. You, well, you are going to have to tell me who your Desert Island band is because that's something that comes up a lot in the film. I'm springing it on you, but you're going to have to answer it. Yeah, I know. I I feel like I feel like Anton. Uh man, I I guess I would probably go with uh, Leonard Skinner. Um, I could probably just listen to Sweet Home Alabama and uh, give me three steps all day every day but uh, i i do i do do enjoy that aspect just to go a little, a little off track i like how they have their, their answers for the for the recording and then they have their real answers when they're when they're faced with their demise okay what about you mark um probably the beatles okay so the beatles did come into my thinking as well so i think you want some an artist that's going to have Variety and a large back catalog. If you can only listen to one artist for the rest of your life, right? that was my thinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, on those thoughts, I think I'd probably have to go with David Bowie. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay then. So, uh, is the uh, the film effed up? So, well, what do you say, Kyle? I'm going probably going to say yes, being that you chose this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I think that uh, for the the shot of Anton's arm alone, um, I think it would definitely qualify. But the the despair that you feel like watching these people get ripped apart, I think also also qualifies. It's definitely it's a little bit different than watching a man turn into a walrus or um, an assassin <laughs> in another person's body. Um, but I definitely think it's it's. It's it's almost I mean I hate to sound like a snob but it's almost atmospheric, um, effed up. But yeah, for the for the the shot alone of Anton's arm, I I would definitely give it a yes. Okay, what about you, Mark? Hmm. Uh, I'm not I'm not decided yet. Um. Well, I, I think there's there's two ways of looking at it, I think, in that there's the one way that you think, like, in terms of, you know, horror movies, there's not much in this film that feels particularly, like, uh, weird or out there. But it's, you know, it gets its scares just by doing stuff that you, you kind of know happens in the real world, but very effectively. And then I think that's why it tips over into being a fucked up film is because it's like, could you imagine this happening in real life? And also the fact this thing kind of does at sometimes, you know? And I think in terms of, a, you know, looking at it from a film standpoint, it, you know, probably not, but looking at it as a, this could probably happen. And the fact that there are neo-Nazis still now, like it's fucked up to be a Nazi at any time, but like it gets worse every day. So, you know, that's yeah, big time effed up for me. Yeah. Um I don't know. No, I didn't get effed up vibes from it. I'm gonna have to go with my feelings on it. So no. I, I, for me, no. 
it, it, it's in terms of what you just said, you know, like the gore elements was not nothing that I saw that was, um, you know, made me do anything. And for something to be fucked up, I often feel like I need to, it needs to sit with me afterwards for quite a long time. Whereas uh, I didn't get that with this. Um, I just sort of went, oh, that's a movie. Um, don't, and don't get me wrong, because there's a lot of good stuff about it, but it didn't, it didn't give me that effed up feeling like I had with a lot of the uh, other movies. Um, so yeah, oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, I, I guess, but well, I see where you're coming from in that you know it's, you know, the villains are kind of normal in that regard. In that you know the real life villains, so there's not that that element of it compared to the stuff that we've covered so far, which is really out there isn't it and real weird icky stuff right right i think that especially like the films that you guys have chosen so far for effed up february have been there's been like a certain level of, of absurdity to all of them like none more than tusk um i know marky would like i mentioned on facebook like <laughs> what, what have you done to me it's just because i never <laughs> i never heard of that movie and then <laughs> 50 minutes in <laughs> what's his name uh What's the Justin Long? Justin it's just, Long. Yeah. It's just it's just a walrus, and I mentioned. I mean, I cackled. I I laughed so hard when they zoom out and he's just screaming. Like there's this like a level of absurdity that that what you kind of mentioned sticks with you. Um, this one this one just stuck with me for for other reasons just because it is so grounded. It feels it feels real. Like I mentioned, it feels like a snuff film. So I think that's why that's why I was thinking. It yeah. was. I didn't realize when I read out those comments that you hadn't seen Tusk. No wonder. Oh, no, no wonder. <laughs> oh my god! I, had never, I, I mean, I, I yeah. think that's why I, why I read it back so weird. I was like, uh, I don't know what's going on here? Um, oh yeah, well yeah, no wonder you hated me for that then. Um, yeah, <laughs> but it, it's like it's like you know you're talking about. Um, speak no evil um you know that's that movie sat with me for ages and i was like oh, i feel a bit depressed after watching that um i don't want to see anything like that again whereas this didn't do that for me in terms of you know it's effed upness so it's not necessarily about for me it's not necessarily about it's silliness or even violence really it's about making me feel awful I think that what's make makes what makes it effed up. Like, um, uh, has Possessor come out yet? Yeah, when we did Possessor, like, <laughs> <laughs> like again, like I don't think much of the gore got me or even the thing, but um, the specific part where she just doesn't seem to care, um, mm-hmm. that was like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Speak no evil will definitely be on the 2024. Effed up February. Oh yeah, list. we're br- we're bringing back effed up February, and we'll bring you. We'll bring you back for that. I'll force you to watch that again. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it again. My daughter will be like three and a half. I don't know if I can possibly watch it again. Force myself to watch it again. <laughs> well, the, the weirdest thing for me with this film, though, is that we've mentioned a few times throughout the yeah you know, throughout the podcast that people have sort of these comfort films, and I, I realize while watching this that this is my comfort film. <laughs> Oh, I I remember when when this came out, I was I was going through a really tough time, and this film, like I watched it, and then immediately watched it again, and then watched it like maybe three or four more times with other people. So this, yeah, this film is like a real 
like it feels safe for me, <laughs> which is probably the most effed up thing that I've said throughout the whole podcast. Now that is effed up. Yeah. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? I review yeah. you as effed up. Oh, I'll take that. I deserve that. <laughs> it's all right. I like the holiday. Huh. Everyone likes the holiday. Do they? Got that lovely Jack Blacking. Huh. So let's talk about this then in terms of uh, what we thought of the film. So it's got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90% with the critics and 75% with audiences and a letterbox score of 37 so for me, I've already said about this film. So I'm just going to, there's no attention for what I think about it already because we already know, because <laughs> I've said. So I'm giving this film the full Matthew Thornley seal of approval. It is a creative psychopath, five stars. I absolutely love this movie. Ooh. Um, well, I'll, I'll sandwich between that because... Um... <laughs> For me, for me, it was a new it's spooky. And I think what happened here is um, it was a victim of expectation because I've heard so many good things about Green Room that I think I was expecting the greatest film I'd ever seen or the greatest horror film I'd ever seen. And because I think it didn't deliver on that scale and I sort of hated the band, um, especially like they're a bit pretentious at one point about social media and music and stuff like that and it was a bit um so i wasn't i wasn't particularly rooting for them um like i say i thought i thought the goal was good and i thought patrick stewart was amazing but overall i didn't come away from it it was a good horror film but it wasn't great so it's a new it's spooky for me which i i, I feel i feel, almost feel wrong saying but i've got a i've got to speak my truth you know <laughs> and the band were pretentious oh good heavens <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i'm definitely i'm i'm closer to to matthew but i did i did find so i've, I've seen this movie a couple of times and the first time it sat with me just for like the the violence of it but and then the sim- similarly i think the second time i think this was the third time i've seen it and the 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 actual movie itself in terms of like the writing the pace uh the cinematography i said i actually noted that the cinematographer uh sean porter actually was a cinematographer for green book the movie that won best picture a couple years ago i'm like if if this guy's gonna put something on a cv please put green room do not put green book because i think this movie looks beautiful like the the coloring Mm -hmm. um so i i definitely appreciate it for more of like the the theatrical aspects of it and but it did lose a little bit like kind of kind of what you were speaking of mark it lose it it lost just a touch of like it's uh like it's a bite just a just a touch for me just because I, I knew the beats but uh yeah it's still definitely a, a creative psychopath for me well that's a two to one so that makes it a creative psychopath and i think this is another one of those where i'd say you know while i've given it a new it's speak spooky i would say go watch it because <laughs> i reckon i reckon we can get you around in time yeah you know it might be another one like uh, when we talked about Possessor that I need to maybe go into again. Um, as I say, sort of the victim. I, re- I think it really was the victim of expectation. Like um, going totally off topic. Recently, I watched The Raid 2 based on the fact that everyone told me it was going to be the greatest action film ever. But because it didn't deliver the greatest action film ever, it wasn't as good as I was hoping for, if you know what I mean. 
Um, whereas I think if I'd not known anything about it going in, I probably would have um, probably would have loved it. So that's just yeah, I mean that's certainly how I got the film. Like, I found it with I, I think I read one uh, like one article in Empire magazine a couple of months before it, like. Patrick Stewart's played a Nazi. I was like, okay, that's enough to get me to watch this film. <laughs> so like, yeah, I went in almost completely blank on this. So I, I get exactly where you're coming from. And I think sort of once you, when you're in that situation, you, you know, you can either go one or two ways. And I think once you've, you know, listened to us talk about it and sort of see what other people enjoy about it, you, I reckon you'll, you'll warm up to it. We'll see. You better do, or I'm quitting the pod. <laughs> I would never do that. That's an empty threat. <laughs> you love me too much. And, gonna... I, I, and I love our lists. Oh. <laughs> no, so, me, me too. <laughs> but I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up the uh, the slice of bread then. And uh-huh. uh, sorry, no, the filling. We'll wrap up the filling with um, with the with the slice of bread. Yeah, yeah, you're on. But we're also going to ruin Kyle's sandwich, Mark, and and you're the the sandwich ruiner. Hmm. So, so how are you ruining this one? Blood. It's <laughs> always it's always blood. Uh... <laughs> I, I was just going to say, just give the Philly cheesesteak to a Nazi. Ruined. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't deserve. Don't even deserve to be handed them out of spite. As you're trying to eat it, someone's going to siphon off all the filling. There you go. Oh, so you, so you're left with with just empty bread. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so let's get these questions done. And so these are these are the, my favorite questions. So what's a, a scary moment from a non-horror movie that you remember? Yeah, yeah. These are these are these are tough. So. Uh... Big Indiana Jones fan. I remember seeing Indiana Jones when I was a little kid and Temple of Doom. The guy just starts ripping hearts out with like his hands halfway through the film. Um, that definitely stuck with me. But the all time, all time, <laughs> scariest thing is my my dad's one of his favorite movies to watch was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, <laughs> the Kid Snatcher. Yeah. Straight nightmare fuel. I don't know what fucked up that thing that guy crawled out of that makeup department but uh he's like oh it's just a, a pedophile extraordinary it's it's rough yeah that's yeah what a what a gross character that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah that's that's um that it might even be one of the right answers for that one i think yeah um, yeah I'm, I'm fully on board with this one yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you said when he said Indiana Jones, you could, it could have been any of the three. Uh, I know there's four, but screw that last one. I yeah. screw them all. Don't like Indiana Jones anyway. <laughs> but, um, they're, they're all pretty. They've all got some pretty awful moments in. I remember the Last Crusade scaring a shite out of me when the guy turns old right at the end. Is oh, he not yeah. old and then dead? Yep. Yeah. Dust. And uh, the first one that they open up the Ark of the Covenant and everyone's face melts. Yeah. Belty face. Well, actually, I watched. Uh, uh, I, I was lucky enough to be able to introduce my my better half to Indiana Jones for the first time. She'd never seen it until a couple of days ago, uh, and you know they 
it, only one of their faces melts at the end. One of them like concaves and then another one blows up. Like, mm. I Mandela affected myself. Yeah, I thought yeah, they all yeah. melted as well, but no, they all, they all got their own little head defamation. Aren't the angels quite scary as well, though? Kind of. They, like, they come out and you see sort of a nice lady's face and then it turns into a bit of a ghostly skull. Yeah, I think they were probably scarier in 1984. Screw Indiana Jones and <laughs> screw that child catcher. Yeah, child catcher, yeah, definitely. Get get. Can you believe that, that was written by uh, Ian Fleming and Roald Dahl? Like, I expect better from those two. No, that movie's definitely rated like G or PG too. It's like the Jaws thing where like Jaws is PG. It's like, in what world? It's so, up to you to decide whether your <laughs> children can see these things. Well, I think I'm, I'm going to establish based off that that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is a horror movie. But if you could make any non-horror movie a horror movie, what would you choose? Yeah, this is a good one as well. So I was thinking of, I was trying to think of movies that take a heel turn because I kept thinking of From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, so I was thinking uh, one of my favorite comedies from the 2000s, the 2000s, Pineapple Express. I was thinking that'd be funny if just uh, when Seth Rogen and uh, Dan McBride go to like the warehouse at the end, Ted and all his goons, are they're all vampires. <laughs> <laughs> that would work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was thinking yeah. that you could have just turned it like green room that you know the, yeah. the drug dealers are all neo Nazis and they're going to kill them. But, but yeah, no, you, you went somewhere much better. Yeah, yeah, I was I was starting the other the other one I had was uh the little rascals, but it's they turn into the children of the corn, so it's like Spanky and uh, Alfalfa <laughs> and all them. They like they're maybe they go and kill that little kid that's uh at the talent show or whatever. So oh, like yeah. Mo in the Simpsons, very yeah, cool. one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Okay, well, I think that, uh, that's all for the questions and until you come back and we go through the others. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get you back on later in the year at some point. That'll be exciting. I'll look forward to that. Um, <clears throat> um, um, right, yeah, so let's, let's, let's get towards the end then. Um, so thanks very much, Kyle, for coming on. Do you have anything you want to plug or are you just... You just no, no. I'm just happy to be a part of the Facebook group. Like I, like I mentioned, I you guys have inspired me to pick back up horror movies that I either haven't seen or haven't seen in a little. Awesome sauce. Uh, that was a weird thing for me to say. Um, let's just go then. Facebook groups, Instagrams, Letterboxed. I think I'm CP underscore podcast, and Matthew is at Matthew Thornley. Right? I don't know. He's not answering me. Has everyone gone? Am I gone? Oh, dear.